The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And this is the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock this evening. Now, figures released by Bodywise, the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland, they show there's been a fifty-five percent increase last year in the number of people attending their services uh, for support, early detection and effective treatment, the best chance at recovery. Uh, They say, unfortunately, depending on where you live, access uh, to those services uh, can vary. To talk about all this and more, I'm joined here in studio by Harriet Parsons, psychotherapist, training and development manager at Bodywise. Harriet, you're very welcome to studio. Uh, Dr. Keelty Oberlin is with us as well, an eating disorder recovery coach. And Cormac Ryan, who himself is recovering uh, from an eating disorder. You're all very welcome and thanks a million for taking the time all of you to talk about this, such an important issue and and affecting so many people and so many people we probably don't realise as well. And I want to try and get a sense of how it affects people. So, Cormac, if if I can start with yourself, uh, can you tell us maybe a little bit about when all of this began for you? Um, I I suppose I'm thankfully, luckily enough, kind of a a year on after treatment, be able able to be in a position where I can kind of try to talk about my experience a bit more. Um, I suppose mine started about 10, 10 years ago. I was 18 and very long story short, ended up uh, suffering a cardiac condition when I was playing hurling, ended up with a pacemaker. Obviously, that was a big shock to the system at 18. Put on a lot of weight kind of without even realising and it was then about a year later when I went back playing that kind of my awareness was brought to kind of my physical appearance for the first time ever in my life and I kind of just clung on to it and then very, very gradually and slowly I kind of just kind of delves into kind of normal well things we see out there kind of dietary habits and behaviors that ultimately over a very long period of time kind of led me to an eating disorder and um, that i only really saw help for um last summer and um, so it was a real slow burner um from a health a health condition that happened 10 years previous and i mean you you, you use the phrase there, kind of the normal dietary things uh uh to describe your your initial reaction to to going back hurling and being that little bit overweight, um, uh, w- what were those normal dietary things that that kind of morphed into a problem? The things that you'll hear in every coffee break or lunchroom in every workplace in the country today, tomorrow, and next week. It was I, I put on a bit of weight. I wanted to get back fitter. I wanted to get back playing hurling at a high level again. So I cut out carbs. I was like, no, no bread this week. Watching this week. No takeaways, no X, Y, Z. I'm going on the chicken breast and the broccoli for a while. Like those sort of things, being very restrictive, very rigid. Um, And I suppose there was no real massive compulsion at the time, but over a period of years when I kept doing them, then it became a compulsion. And that's where I suppose kind of the eating disorder aspect came into it. But very, very normal, seemingly normal behaviours is what I started with. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because you say they're seemingly normal behaviours. I mean, in hindsight, if, I, if I'd spoken to you at the time, you might have said, listen, I'm just kind of doing this, that and the other to try and lose a few pounds and get myself into good nick before the championship starts. Um, and now that you look back, were they normal or, or, or was this the start of a problem rather than something that actually morphed into a problem? No, it was definitely the start. It was it, the, the, the seed was sowed, and um, but I had no idea what I was doing, you know. And, and that's the big thing I try and get across to people now is that that my eating disorder, as serious and uh, harmful as it became, it became in the last two to three years, it started with those seemingly unharmful kind of dietary behaviors that you will see all over TV, 
um, social media and that you'll hear people talk about. Um, but unlike me looking back now, I'm convinced that, that those behaviours were, were the seed that led me to a pretty kind of distressed place 18 months ago. And how would you describe that place 18 months ago? It was, to be honest, my quality of life was gone. And um, if you spoke to me kind of any time from January to April 2021, I was very confused because I didn't know what was wrong because I was a male and I didn't think I could have this problem. I felt very isolated and pretty much all my quality of life was gone. Kind of 95% of my daily thought processes were taken up by this compulsion and anxiety that I can't eat, I'm not good enough to eat, I can't put on weight, I have to starve myself. And that just consumed my mind to the point where I wasn't even able to do my job as a physiotherapist. I wasn't able to look after myself, so I couldn't look after anyone else. Um, And that's kind of the level it got to, to the point where I actually didn't think my health could come back to where it is now. I, I was willing to try and get better, but I remember saying to the consultant, I'm willing to try, but I don't think you're going to be able to fix this. So, so like, that's how bad it got. Mm. How is the health today, Cormac? I'm very, very lucky to be able to say that I'm in the best headspace and health that I can ever remember in all my adulthood life. Um, and it's a lovely thing to be able to say that. But the only reason I can I can say that is because I was lucky enough where my par- whereby my parents had the means to send me to get treatment privately and I was lucky enough to meet amazing healthcare professionals who, who got me back on track um, but yeah thankfully in a, in a really good place Yeah and I think listen lots of people relieved I'm sure to hear that I mentioned Harriet Parsons who's with me here in studio psychotherapist and training and development manager at Bodywise Harriet Cormac falls into that category of people who presented last year this big increase in the number of people who presented why do you suspect there was such a jump? I think it was um, uh, the pandemic created this kind of perfect storm, which we've heard lots of people describe it as. So what you have is all of the um, key kind of trigger points that can trigger an eating disorder or that can worsen an eating disorder, can tip somebody into it um, or cause somebody to relapse. Things like a sudden change to their routine and we were all put into lockdown so there was this big unknown anxiety levels across the population rose we were all anxious um, as well as that, then um, normal kind of everyday structures fell away. People weren't going to school or college or work. People were at home with people that they weren't normally spending that amount of time with. And then alongside that, you have this kind of big unknown of what should we be doing during this time? So you have this um, growth of kind of exercise talk. Everyone was baking banana bread and sa- making sourdough starters and all of that. And that was, you know, how we all kind of bonded together and got through it. But for people who had other risk factors for an eating disorder, what that did was it created this unknown of what should I be doing? Um, what's going to happen if I can only go two kilometres from my house? So you get people who, you know, start to exercise at home, start to have very rigid routine around eating patterns and exercise patterns um, and people who just got caught up and their way of managing that stress and anxiety was internalised and turned into themselves. So they started to control their body. So there was lots of different things that happened. But in the main, they usually fit into that kind of story when you talk to people who developed an eating disorder during the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, I mentioned right at the outset as well, uh, the kind of the geographical lottery that maybe is at play. Like how significant a problem is that in Ireland, that somebody 
can get help in one part of the country and not so elsewhere. Well, it's a huge problem across not just eating disorders, but like lots of um, health conditions, both physical health and and mental health. And I suppose it's always been recognised as an issue within the mental health services that it is this postcode lottery in terms of the services that are available within your catchment area. And it was really because of that that um, the HSE um began to develop a what's called a clinical programme for eating disorders nationally. So that was a national project that was launched in 2018, whereby specialist eating disorder treatment teams would be located all around the country so that no matter what area you lived in, you should have access to that specialist team. That specialist team are clinicians who have been trained specifically in special treatment approaches for eating disorders. So that began around 2018. Um, The problem really arose in terms of, you know, in the pandemic with accessing those services was that for two years running, the money was diverted. Now, thankfully, um, Minister Butler has um, ensured that the money um, has come back to the eating disorder service. So that development has um, begun again and is well on the way now. Um, so in the pandemic, we again came up against this situation where there were certain specialist teams in certain areas that were excellent and their stats would show that when the money is invested into those specialist services, people are referred earlier, I identified earlier, referred mm-hmm. earlier, assessed quicker, treated quicker and discharged quicker. So more people are getting treatment and more people are then being discharged. And that's what you want. You don't want people to have to hang around and wait and then get physically really unwell and need inpatient services. You know, for the most part, people with eating disorders need to be treated within their community so that they can stay in their lives. They can stay in school, in college, at Mm. work and um, be treated as they live um, rather than them becoming really, really unwell and then needing um, higher levels of service according to the risk then from their physical um, illness. Dr. Kilty Oberlin is with us as well, as I said, the Eating Disorder Recovery Coach. Kilty, you're welcome to the show. I, I want to ask, when you're presented with uh, a, a patient, someone like Cormac, and they say, as Cormac told us, he told his consultant, you know, you're not going to make me better. There's, there, there, there's nothing you can do for me. W- w- well, what do you say to that and where do you start? Um, I, you start by just being present with the person. And I think that goes with most people when they, like Cormac said, actually, it's really good. They are so overwhelmed. By the time somebody seeks help and is willing to accept help, they're overwhelmed. And it seems like that mountain is way too high to climb. And to some extent, anybody, and that goes from from the professional to the family members, it's just to kind of have an, uh, to show them I'm here with you. And that we're we're going to do this together, but recovery is is possible. It just seems insurmountable at the moment, at the time. Um, does that answer that question? It does. No, no. It's okay. It's 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 it's. I think it's uh, insightful to 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 try and understand. I suppose the relationship you want to develop with the people in front of you, um, and about where the journey is going. To what extent do 
you have to involve other people on the journey, like either directly or indirectly. What I'm talking about is because, you know, Harriet talked about people, you know, staying at home and staying in school and staying in their community and having all that support network around them. But, you know, when somebody has an eating disorder, it strikes me that a lot of the time people and, and often in the immediate family are kind of they're involved in that eating disorder. I don't mean that in an accusatory way, but you know what I mean? They're aware of it and they're all living with it. Yeah. I always say that by the time a one person in the family dynamic has an eating disorder, everyone has an eating disorder in the sense that everyone is focused on what that person is eating, is not eating. There's anxi- anxiety shared between all family members. The communication to, in a large, to a large extent breaks down. And a lot of times, so even when I'm like training and teaching other therapists, to become more skilled in the field, I always kind of, there's there's a lot of myth and misconception about eating disorders, and people get very afraid of them. And that goes for the person themselves that, that, that believes this is bigger than I am. And to some extent, I think understanding while the behaviors seem crazy, you know, they don't make sense, what, you know, the person recognizes I'm not eating enough, I'd like to eat more, but I can't actually do it, or at the other end of the spectrum, because the behaviors themselves for disordered eating are vast, and they seem very different from person to person, but understanding that to a large extent, it's about the person not being able to, it's, it's, a, it's a lot around meaning and worth that the person doesn't believe in themselves enough. So, so, so the, the eating disorder itself is more of a symptom. Yes, yes. And, and Harriet described it really, really well there when she was saying that like the pandemic, where a whole society sort of lost a sense of control, you know, like what we were to do, it, most people were suddenly at a loss. And... Um, but to some extent, this is the journey of the person with the eating disorder. I had a lot of clients that actually said that during, now I had been working with them prior to the lockdown, so they were more prepared. But that once lockdown sort of happened, they actually felt the sense of relief that everybody else is sort of on the same boat as I am. Um, you know, that sense of anxiety, that sense of what do I do, that sense of, you know, trying to figure figure the world out and in a lot of ways redefine who I am because I can't do all of the things that I did. You know, so I'm going back to that whole sense of meaning and worth and what 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 the what mm. it's not about the food, it's about who the person is and creating this this sense of worth within oneself. And Harriet, does it then become about the food from this place of meaning and worth? Uh, does it become about the food because of what the toxic relationship we have in society with kind of food and body image? Is it that, that that's how it manifests itself for people? Is that it? It's exactly what you said, that the food, whatever way the person is eating or eating in a disordered way, Um, is a symptom. So essentially an eating disorder is a coping mechanism. It's a destructive coping mechanism, but it helps the person to feel better. You can say that eating disorders are functional illnesses. They, They serve a function for the person. And when you think about it that way, then when you want somebody to change and let go of their eating disorder, that's going to be really, really difficult for them because they don't know how to cope without doing those behaviours or 
they don't know how to function without the eating disorder. And I mean, as as you both said as well, the family and the people who are supporting that person, they also need to understand um, what the eating disorder is doing for the person and why, you know, this person that they love both is clinging to this thing that's destroying them um, on the one hand and on the other hand at maybe these tiny light bulb moments things oh my god this is a problem I need to change being overwhelmed as Cormac Mm. described so um, a lot of the work that we do in BodyWise is around supporting the supporters so supporting families and supporting families both to understand what an eating disorder is how an eating disorder mindset develops what it's like to be a person with an eating disorder but then also to basically train parents to be able to um, have the skills to be able to support their loved one at home and kind of motivate them to um, to start to think about changing and letting go of the eating disorder and in its place develop new ways of coping with life. Bodywise.ie is the website. I should have said right at the outset if people do want to find out more about the services that are on offer. Uh, Harriet Parsons, Harriet, thanks a million for coming into studio. Dr. Keelty Oberlin, thank you as well. And thank you, especially thank you to Cormac Ryan for sharing his story with us as well. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.